0: You're listening to the Ultimate Youth Worker Podcast. Today's episode, youth work and power.
1: Let's get into this. You're listening to the Ultimate Youth Worker Podcast with your host, Aaron Garth.
0: Hey guys, it's Aaron here from the Ultimate Youth Worker podcast, and we are stoked to have you back with us for the first cast for 2018. It has been a whirlwind of a summer period for us. We are hoping to bring you some amazing changes to the cast this year. We're bringing in some more people, we're getting some academics on, it should be a blast. And to kick us off, we have a good friend of our community, Ben Lohmeyer from Tabor in Adelaide. Ben is a critical youth sociologist and a youth worker. He's a PhD candidate at Flinders University and the program coordinator of the Bachelor of Applied Social Sciences, Youth Work at Tabor. Ben's research interests include youth, governance, violence, personal structural and neoliberal violence and youth work practice. Ben has worked across a range of youth work settings, including alternative education, alternative accommodation, and peace building. He has experience facilitating restorative justice processes, designing and facilitating peace building programs, as well as grant and policy writing. Ben is currently completing his PhD in sociology at Flinders University, focusing on youth and neoliberal violence. And you can find more about Ben and some of his publications at someyouthfulthoughts.wordpress.com. Or you can follow him on Twitter at LomireBen. Without further ado, let's get Ben on the cast. Ultimate Youth Worker. Development for the future. Ben, how are you, mate? Good. Thanks yourself. Yeah, really good, really good. Thanks for jumping onto the podcast today and uh, spending some time with us.
1: I no worries at all.
0: So, uh, Ben, uh, as the guys heard in your in your blurb, you're you're doing a PhD at the moment. Now uh, I hear you a whisper away from putting that in.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an exciting and stressful moment because obviously there's lots of work that's gone into it. And you come to the end and you start you know, re guessing and rethinking everything. But, but it should be really good to get done and hopefully uh, have a decent break afterwards.
0: Yeah, and, and just, uh, just for us to all uh, keep an eye out, what, what's, the, uh, what's the topic of your PhD?
1: Um, so what I'm really interested in is uh, structural and cultural and symbolic forms of violence uh, that young people experience. So I ended up talking about this idea called neoliberal violence.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: of course, it's a PhD, so I have to throw a few uh, big, silly, made-up words in there. Uh, so i ended up talking about hyper-governed young people and neoliberal violence. What that really means is just the young people who have a... a been working or been, had an experience of the child protection system, uh, juvenile justice system or some sort of political activism. So yes. They kind of have this increased contact with the state as such. Uh, so I've called them hyper-governed for that yes. reason. And then talking about their experiences of, of violence that move beyond just physical violence. We want to think about the way our culture and our society um, you know, violates young people's experiences and, and hopes and dreams.
0: Wow. That that sounds like a massive topic.
1: Yeah, it is a bit. I suppose that's why you do a PhD, but yeah, it's uh, it's been good fun.
0: It's going to give you something to write about for years to come, at least.
1: Totally, totally. Yeah.
0: Well, in that kind of vein, mate, today we thought it'd be great to talk a little bit about uh, restorative justice and and the the space that you've started to think through with your PhD, but particularly looking at uh, the idea of power relations in youth work, uh, which it sounds like a, a lot of the, the stuff you've done is is specifically around uh, the, the power of uh, the government and us as youth workers working with young people.
1: Yeah, great. I'd love to talk about that. Um... Yeah, restorative justice is, was really a starting place for my PhD and some of the work I got to do in that place and thinking through uh, the way that it um that. It's a unique approach or a different approach to that, that punitive system, but uh, it has its own tricks and, and issues as well, like any issue working with people, you know, people are complex, uh, so workers, youth workers, just always be critical about the programs that we use and, and the power relations. So, yeah, let's yeah. talk about that.
0: Awesome. So, uh, I guess... You know, one of the questions that often comes up when I'm teaching, at least, is, uh, you know, do do we actually have power as youth workers? What What are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, good question. Um, absolutely. I think we always have power, uh, whether we're a youth worker or not. I don't think it's possible to, to entirely be without power. It's just a question of how we think about it. Um, so, yeah, youth workers have lots of lots of different ways of them having power. Uh, often youth workers are trained. Uh, yes, so youth workers uh, come with a certain knowledge and experience. Um, so that's a, a form of power. Um, youth workers are more often than not older than the people that they're working with, so that age brings a certain uh, kind of power. Yeah. Usually you're representing some sort of institution of some sort, whether it's a youth service, or um, you're perhaps working for a local government, something like that, that's another form of power. So yeah, there's lots of different ways that we have power as youth workers.
0: Yeah, that's, that's huge, and, and I don't think that sometimes we don't recognise that, even just simply because of the fact that we're a little bit older, or that we have gone to, to do some study, whether that's a certificate level or a diploma or a degree, that those things give us power over the young people we work with.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, in many ways we... Um... We are trained during our time at studying certificate or degree level to think about ways to engage young people as equals. So we're we're trained to to uh, try and move within that power relationship and and, and equalise some of that power. Uh, but but that just means that we've had some extra thoughts and, and extra skills in that area. So in some ways, you know, this attempt to try and uh, equalise the power relationship actually gives us another type of power. So something we do really have to think about.
0: Yeah. Definitely, and and so in in your work thinking about those symbolic violences and and uh, the like, what were some of the the things that came up about where youth worker ha- youth workers have kind of stepped over that power relationship and and had too much power?
1: Yeah, great. I think uh, one of the really interesting things that I, I've been studying and, and really initiated uh, my interest in uh, restorative justice and studying it in this way was this idea uh, called fair process. Um, and it was a, a few principles that were designed to manage the, the participation within a decision making process uh, within restorative justice. Um, and the principles sound really nice on the surface. They talk about engagement and they talk about explanation, um, they talk about expectations uh, but um I wasn't really comfortable with the, the theory, it's just something that wasn't quite right for me and so I, I explored a little bit further and what to realise, and then through my PhD as well, is that while these principles on the surface sound nice, is they're not actually very participatory. Not really about uh, handing over or, or managing and equalising power. They're actually about uh, finding an efficient way to solve a problem and to give a what ultimately I, I would argue is a kind of a tokenistic um, experience. Of power for the people who are sort of subject to the process. So what I suppose all that means is that um, it's easy for us uh, as youth workers to to do well-intended things, um, and why we want to want the good outcomes for young people, and we, we want a just process, uh, and to not think really critically about you know what the processes that we're using. I think it's really important for for us to think about power in in terms of participation. You know, who has control? And participates in processes, and how do we uh, how do we make sure our work uh, gives control and power to to young people to make their own decisions, especially when it's, it's concerning them and affecting them? Yeah. So that's yeah, that's what I was been thinking about in that restorative justice space.
0: Yeah. So yes. I, I mean, I spend a lot of time pointing people back to Roger Hart's ladder of participation, and it sounds like what you're saying is that whilst the restorative justice process sounds really good, uh, and and looks Looks really good on paper when we actually put it into practice it is very much that tokenistic end of the, the ladder not not very participatory which seems to go against what we would uh, say is good youth work practice.
1: Yeah, it's a good point, and Hart's ladder is a really good reference point. I, I like using that um, as well. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose we'll be careful to say it's not about um, all restorative justice is bad in that way, but rather this just this one idea that I encountered. Um, but the the idea of um, restorative justice is often that it can be run as a less formal process by not necessarily with uh, people who have a whole bunch of training or, or by like a, a big bureaucracy, like a you know, an institutional justice um, setting uh, so in that way it's, it's open to interpretation you know, it's open to uh, the personality or there's the skills of the person who's running the process can really influence the experience of it yeah uh, so in that sense it's quite quite fluid and, and again you have to be really careful in, in how we approach it because you can end up in that tokenistic space you know at the bottom of of heart's ladder um, but really we want to we want to move it up and move it up that ladder and at the top rungs are about. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, off the top of my head, the, the top rung is uh, young people or child-initiated projects yes. with shared adult decisions, yeah. and ultimately, you know, if restorative justice can look like that, uh, that's that can be a really. Um, effective way of running a restorative justice process, but it requires the adults involved uh, to take a step back and to say, okay, we don't have to have complete control and maybe we won't have really efficient outcomes out of this, uh, but if we create the space, the children and young people on Heart's Ladder can, can come in and say, actually, we want to shape this process as well, mm-hmm. and our, our voice is just as important, which I think in many ways actually just goes to the, to the heart of restorative justice processes because it's about justice. Yeah. It's about <laughs> and that's the where we should we should start with, and it's about relationships. You yeah. know? So if we prioritise those things first, I think we'll be in a good space.
0: Well, I, I mean, as you said, you know, restorative justice is about how do we restore those relationships, and yes. and really, that's how do we how do we help people back into participating fully in their communities with their people uh, that are around them, and exactly. and so you know. From that perspective, it's no wonder youth work has picked up at restorative justice as a as a great process and um, framework to use.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, youth work is a, a relational profession. You know, we're about uh, building professional relationships with young people, and in many ways, it's that relationship itself that is transformational. Um, I really like this idea, it comes from Martin Lloyd uh, in New Zealand, and he says the the distinction between a youth worker and other professions is often that uh, other professions will build a relationship in order to deliver a service, Uh, and so it's really easy to think of like teachers in that context, so your best teacher, they build a relationship with you so they could teach you maths or whatever it was, (laughs) Yeah, that was my my best teacher in in high school.
0: Oh, my math Uh, teacher failed that one. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's right, not for everyone Uh, and whereas a youth worker will deliver a service in order to build a relationship so it flips that that process on its head. So you might be offering a, a um, some sort of alternative education service or a housing service or, you know, drug and alcohol service or whatever it is. You offer that service, but the purpose is to build a relationship. So if that's your model for youth work, then restoring relationships as an approach to justice makes a lot of sense. It really does. Um, but the, you know, the issue that I've, I've discovered and the clash between, I suppose, these two uh, processes, this youth work and this restorative justice process, is that youth workers have this ethical obligation uh, to, for what we call primary client, yes. uh, so to work with the young person first. You know, if you're running a restorative justice process, you have to manage uh, all the needs of all the people in that process, and that might not necessarily be young people. It might be some parents, it might be some adults, it might be some other community members. Might be so that's government. a tension that you have to navigate when you're doing that sort of work.
0: Yeah, wow. And... and- Do you think that most youth workers who would be running uh, these programs fully understand how big a a power relation uh, that is?
1: I think that's a good question um I don't think so but that's not supposed to say that they aren't well intended or they aren't well trained or or aren't um or you know that's it's the individual's fault I think that uh we probably we probably actually can't fully understand all the power dynamics involved yeah but then also the context the, the social structures that we're working the way our our youth work services are funded the way that um how our society works is such that we we don't have maybe the time, the energy, the priority to really sit down and think these things through critically. Often youth services are funded nowadays in in a competitive sort of market environment. Uh, They have youth services competing for government contracts or or other uh, funding sources. And so we're always offering to do more with less, uh, which (laughs) means we have less time to sit back and and think about these sort of critical um, and immense... Respiratory sort of questions you know, to we don't have time to reflect on um, if this restorative justice process is going to have a huge power and equality We just need to do it. We just need to fix this problem. Yeah So I think yeah, we, we probably don't fully understand uh, all the dynamics, but it's not necessarily individuals faults.
0: Yeah Which kind of t- tags on to that idea of neoliberalism that you were talking about at the beginning of our time together and the role that neoliberalism has in, to, uh, in speaking to this issue. How do you think neoliberalism as, as a theory uh, has actually informed the practice of power relations in this space?
1: Yeah, awesome. Um, <laughs> this is a question I love, but I also kind of hope you will... Were- going to ask me <laughs> uh, it's, it's really complicated yeah. uh, neoliberalism whenever I try and write something about it I often just get told that I haven't fully understood it um, because it's so big <laughs> like, there's so many different ways of kind of, of approaching it yeah. but if we try and define it really simply maybe that will help the
0: conversation a little
1: bit yeah sounds good to uh, me so the idea is, it kind of just break the word down, um, neo and then liberalism. So liberalism being uh, this uh, focus on rights uh, and this focus on um yeah, the individual, I suppose, is a way of talking about it. Yep. And the, the neo bit just means the newest, latest kind of version. Um, and what the newest, latest version of neoliberalism is particularly interested in is property rights or yep. the rights of individual to to work in a marketplace. So that's uh, how I think about it is uh, neoliberalism is a is a market-based way of, of valuing the individual. Um, and so that's immediately you know, fairly limited, isn't it? You know, when we're thinking about youth work, we don't value young people based on their financial value and capacity. We value them as a holistic uh, person. Well,
0: they, but, they, they don't have a lot of financial uh, value, do they? <laughs> they
1: well, you... yeah, That's. I mean, I suppose that's arguably true. You could look at the ways, um, you know, maybe what age young people can enter into your work and that sort of stuff, but... Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a terrible way to value a person,
0: isn't it? And and to all the youth workers out there, we we apologize profusely.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So that's kind of the the uh, economic and political space that we work in, isn't it? Yeah. That The way uh, things are thought about and valued is in terms of their financial contribution and capacity. You know, if you're a good person, it basically means that you've contributed to our economy. You know, that's a terrible way of thinking about a person. But it means that... Yeah, we have youth services that are only valued in terms of those same metrics. So, Mm. are you delivering an efficient service? Could you be doing this more efficiently? Uh, Do you do as much as you can with the small amount of bucket of money that you have? Mm -hmm. So, that pressures... The
0: the type of work. Yeah, sorry, mate. And, And the type of work that youth services are now funded to provide, where where there was a bit more of an open slather 15 years ago when I started in youth work. Now that the focus is very much on how are we getting young people to participate in the the wider community, particularly uh, to raise their economic impact, so education, employment and training.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's that same thing, isn't it? We value your young person in terms of that uh, employment and training uh, because it can potentially give it into the economy, if you like. Um, but, so we don't fund this broad sense of, of holistic programs for youth work. It's, it's quite targeted. So you can achieve this specific outcome, this educational outcome, uh, which we know is not an effective way of working. You, know, you work with the whole person. Um, you can, can't achieve an education outcome if the person doesn't have you know, somewhere stable to live. Doesn't have a regular um, uh, access to food. Doesn't have um, you know a, a sense of community and connection with them. So, Ma- so you Maslow's up...
0: hierarchy of needs.
1: That's that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So so that makes it really tricky for the work that we do.
0: Yeah. And and so that that then that neoliberalist idea uh, ideology has has impacted. The, the way that we have to work with our young people if we want to continue to get funding, if we want to continue to, to support, uh, in inverted commas, our young people to become active citizens, it's very pervasive, isn't it? It is, yeah. So we're kind of left with a,
1: a few options. We can kind of just go, well, that's the, the lay of the land and I guess we'll, as youth workers we have to uh, get the skills to make our arguments within that way of thinking. So we have to be good at for grants or talking to politicians or whatever it is we need to get the money. And I think, you know, in a sense that's true. You know, we can do that work uh, and then go and deliver our service and and that's still valuable. Or we can try and and be a bit more creative in that space and go, well, how do we um, perhaps... Uh, find money for one thing whilst we can also do another. So I I deliver this educational service, but I also know that uh, part of our service delivery model is to support in these other ways or collaborate with other services. Or um, well, we can try and think a little bit more creatively outside of that as well. I recently uh, came across – I went to a workshop where uh, the guy was talking about social impact investment. Um, oh. So I'm not sure if you've come across this much before, uh, but uh, this was a relatively new idea to me. The idea is that you get private investment uh, in some sort of service, uh, the service that is going to reduce – uh, the costs for, for government, and then when you demonstrate that you've reduced costs for government, the government will pay a dividend to those, those private investors, wow. which in one way sounds really nice because it's kind of like a opportunity for us to design the service and independently find backings rather than being dependent on whatever funding is available at the moment. Uh, but in the same way, it's actually still trapped within the same logic, isn't it? It's still justifying our work uh, efficiently within this, this economic rationale. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's a space and a challenge there for youth work in the future for so how we're going to continue to work in this space.
0: So, mate, that's kind of the macro level overview—the the issue of power coming in from the, the neoliberalist agenda. Let's drill down a little bit to to the individual youth worker now, who's you know in a program where these neoliberalist agendas have really hit home. They might be in a in a housing service or or a or an education, employment, or training service. What what are some of the things that that the individual youth worker needs to be thinking about when it comes to to power uh, when they're relating to their young person because of these neoliberal agendas?
1: Mm, great question. Yeah, because we, in some senses the uh, the individual youth worker working in that service, they don't necessarily have a lot of control over those broader macro processes. But mm. but I think it's important to start with the awareness of it and then say, well, what does that mean for the way that I relate to a young person? Yes. You know, I know that all that sits in the background, but actually right now I'm sitting across the table or, you know, shooting hoops with a young person or something like that. Um, and so you have a moment where it's just about your relationship with them. Um, and I think that's a really good way of approaching uh, the issues, to say, look, I can just be present in this moment, what do I wanna prioritize now? Uh, and of course, we get back to our, our youth work principles and talk about primary client and, and, and relational youth work and say, well, the most important thing is, is building that a connection with the young person uh, so that they can learn skills and, and relate to, to other adults and other people around them as well. So I think in some ways um, the, the challenge is to go, how do I just maintain what's important in the moment? Uh, and that's a, a way maybe even of, of resistance, isn't it? So yeah. you know, I'm using the power I have uh, to do what I think is important at, at this time
0: i a big fan of uh, Barry Schwartz and Kenneth Sharp who uh, talk about practical wisdom. And uh, they, they talk about this idea of uh, the need for canny outlaws, those who know which rules to bend and which rules we can break. And, uh, and very true of youth workers, we need to know which rules we can bend to support our young people and which rules we need to resist to support our young people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's tricky, isn't it? Because you know we never want to uh, necessarily advise someone to go out and, and break rules. But uh, that, there's actually always this question of of what's um, what's legal and what's ethical. You know, there's always this uh, dilemma between um, what is legal isn't always ethical, and what's ethical isn't always legal. And so we have to ask mm-hmm. ourselves hard questions about the rules that we're following and say maybe maybe there's some space for resistance to them as well. And I think that can be really simple things. Um, the resistance can look like just spending an extra five minutes with a young person. Yes. You know you're supposed to move on, but you take the extra five minutes and you and you spend that time because they need it. Or one of my, um, my favourites from a, a relatively recent place where I did some work is uh, there was a reporting requirement on our organisation that uh, every, I think it was a term-based thing, every term we had to submit a report about the young people that we were working with. And they wanted a fairly uh, sort of spartan, fairly short and um, sharp sort of a summary of what you've been up to. Just give us the numbers. Just the numbers, that's right. But as an organisation, we decided to give them more the information than what they asked for uh, and actually paint a bit of a picture of the young person's whole life. Uh, so instead of these dot points, we would give them a bit of a narrative and say, well, this is the, the broader story that we need to know about this young person. And so that was a way for us resisting as well, so we're not going to give you this this data sheet. We're actually going to say, here's the, here's the whole picture. Mm.
0: And, and such a big part of, of our role of youth work is to... Uh, show that love, care and concern that uh, young people don't necessarily get from government policies or government agendas and, you know, to spend that extra five minutes with a young person to show that you actually genuinely care about the whole person, not just what economic value they have to society, shows that we do genuinely care for our young people, which is a sign of resistance in itself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because you're valuing something else, aren't you? Rather than the the metrics imposed on you, you say, no, look, there's a person right here, uh, and I'm going to value that person instead. Uh, That's a pretty uh, special way to do the resistance, I think.
0: Yeah, and and something youth workers have done extremely well over the years. Mm, Absolutely. Mate, thanks. I recognise we're we're getting close to the end here and uh, I just want to uh, flag for our listeners a a little bit more about you. So can you just give us a, a brief overview of who you are and where we can find out more about you?
1: Oh, okay. Um, so, <laughs> who I am? Well, my current work is as the uh, the program coordinator of the Bachelor of Applied Social Science in Youth Work at Tabor in Adelaide. Uh, so that's what I, I do to earn money. So that's pretty good fun, uh, training youth workers and having these kind of conversations on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, I'm finishing my PhD, so that'll be really nice. Uh, if you want to find out more about uh, that, or um, yeah, my some of my writing or that sort of stuff, you can go to uh, my website, which is called uh, Some Youthful Thoughts uh, at word uh, dot wordpress.com. So check that out, or follow me on Twitter as well. So my uh, Twitter hashtag thingy is uh, at loemeyerben.
0: And we'll put all of that in the show notes for today. Ben, thanks so much for our time together today, mate. I'd definitely love to get you back on next year to continue this discussion on uh, how youth workers uh, can step into their role, particularly uh, using restorative principles in a way that doesn't overstep our power
1: issues. Great. I'd love to. That sounds really good.
0: Great. Thanks, Ben. And, uh, guys, that's Ben Lohmeyer from Tabor in Adelaide. Check check out his uh, blog, someyouthfulthoughts.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening to the Ultimate Youth Worker Podcast. If you liked what you heard, why not tell your friends and get them to subscribe to the cast.